0: Namaste, my name is Saurabh Manda and welcome to another episode of Such Conversations Matter. In today's episode, I've invited Bettina Buscholtz from Denmark. Bettina is a college professor who teaches English and cross-cultural communication for various students at both undergrad and postgrad levels. I met Bettina when I was in Denmark and we were working together to figure out how to make learning more effective and more fun for a lot of students who went to Denmark Uh, from the Indian subcontinent. There's a huge cultural difference between how we study and how we do things in the Indian subcontinent and how things happen in Denmark and Western Europe. So Bettina and I, we had a lot of conversations uh, about this and that is what I wanted to share today in this conversation about how cross-cultural communication can have long lasting impact for students who are going abroad to study. So without wasting any more time, hi Bettina, how are you?
1: I'm fine. Hi, Nanda. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. It's so nice to see you again.
1: <laughs> it surely is. Always a pleasure.
0: Yeah, I think. And in this, in this uh, special, extraordinary world of uh, coronavirus, this is the closest that we can get to meeting people in person.
1: It is. It is. There is a geographical distance, I guess, between our countries as well. But somehow, it feels close enough. You know. Yeah.
0: So what have you been doing, Bettina, I mean, since the, uh, you know, COVID-19 pandemic began and uh, was there a lockdown in Denmark? How has your life been? Tell us about it.
1: Well, of course, there was a lockdown all over the world, I think. Um, I have been busy in sales, so I have actually not been at home. Um, So uh, in that way, it's been... Not normal life because I've witnessed other people's lives, but uh, but I haven't been cooped up in my own home the way that many others have. So it's been interesting. In Denmark, we have managed to curb the, the virus and the, the spread pretty effectively, almost too effectively actually. Um, so we're opening up now. I'm really excited. All the museums are opening. So I'm going Thursday. I have missed those a lot. So that's, that's so. Also, a lot of my friends are Muslims, hmm. and they've just celebrated Ramadan. Oh yes, and Eid, Eid is going on right now. And and I know that they usually they would be out in the streets partying, celebrating, meeting friends. This is what the whole thing is about, or at least an important part. And they're forced to stay at home. I you know. I feel so sorry for them. It must feel so wrong.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. Well, anyway, Eid Mubarak. <laughs> and with that i think we should begin our uh small interview and by yes. the way thank you so much for taking out time on a sunday to do this
1: not at all i've looked forward to it
0: great so berina you've been an english teacher uh for college students for quite a while now uh, mm-hmm. what kind of uh, you know advice would you like to give international students coming in Uh, to study in foreign countries because you've taught so many international students as well. Mm. What should they be ready for before they come to an international university abroad?
1: That is such a good question. Um, They should be ready for a major culture clash on all levels. It's not just going to be different foods and different weather and things look differently in the streets. It's gonna be on every level down to how is teaching performed in the classroom, what is expected of you to get good grades. Um, They should also be prepared that the, 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 the weight of feeling far away from home is something you have to take seriously. You have to prepare for this weight and not be scared about it, but find ways to deal with it. Because it will affect your 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 ability to follow and also to feel motivated and engaged about what's going on. Hmm. It's it's a massive challenge you're setting yourself up for. And I think it's one of the most important ones that you can set yourself up for, because you will learn much more than just the academic stuff that you were there to study. Hmm. Mm.
0: So, do you think uh, getting an international education changes you forever, irreparably?
1: (laughs) Irreparably sounds negative, but yes, I do. I I think it it changes you as a person because suddenly, apart from the factual stuff that you know is different from your own country, you also, if you engage, and this is the key, Mm. if you engage, if you accept the challenge and take it upon you to learn, about the country you're in. Mm. You will also have the the benefit of understanding how other people view the world. It doesn't mean you have to change the way you view the world. But the fact that you know that there are other ways changes you as a person. And it makes you more flexible. And also, I think one thing that is often overlooked when we talk into cultural differences is that each of us, we're, we, we know the world, yeah? We grew up to know the world in a certain way, so we look for things in certain places. And that means that, in effect, that we are often blind to stuff that is on our way because we're not looking for it. But just imagine that you're opening your eyes to a whole new perspective, and suddenly you start recognizing that there's stuff to be seen and stuff to be noticed mm-hmm. other places than you would expect. Mm-hmm. This is for me the big difference. This is how I know the difference between people who have actually accepted the challenge and people who just like remain in a tunnel and stick to their own view. Doesn't mean you don't have your own view, just means you can see more. Mm
0: -hmm. But that's such a nice perspective uh, because definitely we have the capacity to see more, but maybe, you know, our, uh, our hesitance to accept bigger or, you know, more cultures in general and accept bigger pieces of information restricts us from uh, seeing more.
1: Yeah, that's a different question, Nanda.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Actually, what you're touching on there, I see it as a different question though, because what I was trying to explain was the mere psychological cognitive reaction that we mm-hmm. go into we're looking for what we know and mm-hmm. looking for confirmation. But what you're talking about is just as important. That's about the feeling of belonging, and essentially the feeling of being threatened mm. because what can often happen and I saw this in many of my students is that they meet a new culture and they become more the culture that they came from than they ever were at home Oh yes. which and I've tried it myself living in a foreign country um, you become more the culture you come from than when you were at home because suddenly your own values are not given mm. you are surrounded by other values you are surrounded by people who might not understand you people who think you act in a strange way you eat odd food all kinds of things and if you if you if you are in a in a difficult stage emotionally it's easy to become negative and to see things as threats True. and then you become adamant about pushing away all other stuff mm. and that's where accepting other cultures becomes an impossibility because you don't see it for what it is, that it's just other ways of doing stuff. You see it as an attack on your person. This is a very classical dilemma that many people experience and it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how many times you've traveled, it can happen to anyone because it's a complex of emotions and yeah, different types of, co- types of contexts. Mm. Very important point.
0: That is a very important point actually. Uh, something that you touched upon in the beginning of this, that people tend to become, uh, they they have a sort of an identity crisis. And uh, being in a foreign culture, they become very much more like their native culture. They they start belonging there more. Uh, Does the opposite also happen? Like people, some people who go abroad and start studying, does the opposite happen in a way that they start accepting the new culture much more and they quickly transition uh, to a newer way of life, a more international way of life, if you may.
1: I've not seen it, to be honest.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've not seen it. Not in the, not in the, not in the students that I encountered. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that. But I think that you will sometimes experience a desire to become like the people you are with Mm. So you overthrow a lot of your own stuff Mm -hmm. simply to to adapt to the new stuff. And sometimes maybe you become slightly unauthentic Mm. to yourself. But I think this is a passing phase. Um, And I think if we're looking for the challenges you were asking, what should should students be aware of when they go abroad? I think the, the main challenge is finding yourself in the new world and accepting the challenges, the hardships, but also looking for the learning p- potential in them, all of them, not just the academic ones, but also the life-situated ones. Mm. Um, if, for some, at some point, you feel like you want to dress like them and be like them and act entirely like them, go ahead. It's gonna—you're gonna settle at some point mm. and just find your own identity. Mm. But it, it's better to be happy, if you—if you get my point, than be negative, because in the negative state, you will reject things and you won't learn in a happy state you will accept things yeah
0: so, so that actually brings in a very important question very interesting question actually hmm? uh, so does international education kind of actually force you to find yourself in a maybe quicker fashion than you would have uh, done so in you know by remaining in your own country does it do that
1: Depends on what you mean when you say yourself, because yourself, I think people are, we're flexible beings, we're plastic, we can, we can change, we can modulate, we, we, can, we can adapt. So if you live in a life in your own country, and you were never required to adapt to anything, because things just stay the same, that's yourself mm. in that context. Mm-hmm. If you change the context, you will have to adapt and find new aspects of the gem that you are, mm. new sides, Right. And, and, so you, and this is, again, back to does it change you as a person? It, it most certainly does. If you imagine a diamond that only has, like, four sides, you go outside the country, suddenly it has many more sides because you have to cut the corners. You have to adapt to this. And you become a many-faceted diamond. And the more times you put yourself in this, this situation, um, the more facets you will have. We even use that as a metaphor. For people with many facets, and and I think we should take that literally. So, mm-hmm. finding yourself, I think, is just a process of life. You will find yourself wherever you are, mm-hmm. but the self changes. So you will find new selves.
0: Very interesting. So, yeah, so we've discussed, you know, how how it can change a person if that person decides to go abroad and start studying. Does it also change the people around him in that new culture? Do they also change uh, by the presence of this? new person from a new land?
1: Hmm. Again, you ask such interesting questions. This is actually one of my key points. Um, And I was teaching, one of the main topics I was teaching my students was cross-cultural communication, right? And one of the main points that I kept pounding, pounding, pounding at them was nothing changes if you're not looking for change. Mm. So, again someone from a different country comes to you in your everyday life and has different habits different ways of communicating different ways of eating whatever that difference represents right so if you just look at it as like oh that person is stupid why doesn't he or she behave in a logical way you will never learn you will just stay who you are if you start working with a curious mind and you start asking and you start consciously looking for what is there to learn here then yes it will change you so you can go through life unchanged if you want to you can just close your eyes and just refuse to accept anything mm-hmm. it's I don't know if it's easy for me it would be difficult but for some people it works I can see that they stay the same but if you're open, so there has to be a conscious decision to learn. It mm. doesn't happen just like that.
0: True. Mm. So, since we're talking about you know psychology of uh, behind this kind of behavior, um, do you think we can we can relate this to uh, somehow you know uh, for developed countries um, in in when they when they have to accept migrants, right? Mm. So. The, the thought process comes from this fact that before they were not really eager to change because probably they were comfortable in their environment. Yes. And suddenly yes. there there are a lot of migrants coming in for various yes. purposes, for various reasons. Yes. And now they're forced to change. And that is always a hostile, negative way of looking at things from a human psychological point of view. Do you think that also transitions into a lot of this uh, political unrest because of the migrants issue in EU? Do you think it's it's one of the psychological issues? Most certainly
1: most certainly what we're working with here is bias Hmm. The, The human natural tendency to be biased towards what they know what they think they know How they make sense of what's going on around them and if people are unconscious that they have biases They will just automatically Judge whatever they see based on what they think is right and so you know i I one of my other key points in 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 this in the course that I was teaching was the concept of ethnocentricity. and I asked them after having explained what it means so ethnocentric means that you look at your own culture as the center of everything, and what happens there is the right way. what happens everywhere else is just odd, right? So after having explained that to them. I asked them whether they were ethnocentric and everyone said no (laughs) because it's not you don't want to be like that you don't want to be like that it's not you know everybody wants to be like open-minded and accepting but the fact of the matter is you are we are all ethnocentric how what could how could we be anything else so I told them well I am I'm deeply ethnocentric in my in my perspective my way is the right way you're just odd But I choose to not act on that Mm. I choose to be conscious about every time that I have Something popping up where I say that's just odd. I will attack that in my own mind and say hmm So that means I have a value or I have a norm or I have some way that I think is correct and they're doing it differently I wonder why they're doing it because to them. This is normal. Mm. I wonder what the normality is for them Mm -hmm. This is this was the key for what I was trying to teach people so
0: so, Medina, actually- in,
1: a, in a classroom, in a classroom of twenty-five people, this works. But on on yeah, a European yeah. level, <laughs> trying <laughs> to get everybody to be conscious, that's that's asking a lot, I think. But yes, essentially, you're right. The challenge of more immigrants is definitely the issue to political unrest and what we're seeing all kinds of terrible movements um, that nobody knows where that's going to end. Yeah.
0: So as educators, this brings us to a very important point. And I remember, you know, working together with you during that cross-cultural exercises, those things that we did. So I, I have a few things that we're going to discuss. And first, I want to uh, I want you to, you know, tell us uh, some of the innovative methods that you used, you know, as a very Danish teacher to uh, oh. teach your international students. So please tell us which all international students have you taught, like which nationalities. and. Yes. Some of the innovative methods that you used to, uh, well, improve the level of education and, you know, make it more fun and effective.
1: Again, a very contextual question um, or context dependent question, but just to start with the nationality. So I have been teaching Nepali students, um, Bangladeshi students, Pakistani, Indian, Chinese uh, those were like the main groups where we met. Mm-hmm. Uh, at CBS, I've also taught Chinese students, American students, actually, students from all over the world. They came, but they were not as massively represented. Uh, they were like little droplets in a Danish group. Mm-hmm. So it's a different setting. Um, I've taught all American students in another setting. um, So those are the main nationalities that I have worked with.
0: Which setting was the most challenging for you and probably most exciting for you? And (laughs) how did you use your innovative, creative ways to make learning more fun and effective?
1: That was it. I like the second question better. Um, Definitely the Nepali setting. Mm Um, that was the one that changed me the most Um, this was the setting where I had to eat my own medicine so to speak (laughs) because being a teacher in, in intercultural communication in a Danish setting and being a Dane myself I understand the perspective of my students so I was talking into a reality that was my own and suddenly I was speaking to Nepali students who had their own idea of what cultural differences was, like right down to the definition of what a cultural difference is. They had their own, and they had their own way of understanding. They had their own way of not understanding. Um, I don't know if I was particularly innovative, but I think one key to all good teaching is to find out where people are, what interests them. And again, it goes back to what I said before. We look for things that we recognize. So if you keep throwing things at people that they don't recognize, they have no nothing, they, they can't do anything with it because they can't place it in any where they understand. You have to create a link from what they understand to what you want them to understand. There has to be a bridge. I don't think that's particularly innovative, but that's what I did. And I did it through... Um, Conversation mainly, a lot of conversation, a lot of questions, a lot of cases where I tried to uh, where I tried to present them with situations that were kind of withdrawn from themselves, so we could all look at it from a distance. Mm-hmm. So I, I created a story actually that ran through the course. It was originally meant to be a video, okay. like learning things. But it, it was never turned into a video. So basically, we just worked with the script of the story which was uh i forget i forget the names actually now but it was a girl and a boy from one from the asian country the boy was from an asian country the girl was from a western country they were both international students in a third country that was not their own and i placed them in different conversations that represented different key differences of cultural problems um And they had these conversations and I allowed each character to have thoughts to show the bias that each of the characters had. Um, Like, so why doesn't he answer? I asked him a question. He's just all quiet, looking down. You know, he's not taking me seriously. He's not answering. That's stupid. He doesn't have an opinion. He must be an idiot. Stuff like that. And I allowed him to think, why is she so, so pushy? Why is she constantly talking to me and asking me questions? Just give me a break or whatever. And then I, I kind of tied it all together at the end of each session to explain from a, at least the cultural theoretical point of view, what could be the explanation. And then we had discussions from the students' points of view. What could be the, what, what did they think of the different characters? And, and, and often I found that Actually, they had the, the 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 reaction that I would have predicted. So so the mm-hmm. culture is whole. <laughs> That's nice <laughs> to know. But but I don't know if that was innovative. But I think somehow mm. they they learned by it. Yeah,
0: B- Bettina, there there is this. Uh, so I spent the last year in Japan, as you know, and yeah. uh, we had a very interesting cross-cultural exercise. Uh, I was involved with twenty four. Well, there were twenty seven of us from twenty one different countries in one batch so that was a really good mix like three japanese three indians and the rest of them 21 of them came from different countries right we had a website which we used uh, one of our mentors uh, introduced us to that it's called the culture connector yes so in the culture connector website uh, they have this information from all the cultures of the world so you fill out a survey and then based on that survey they tell you uh which culture you're closest to so okay huh? being an Indian I was not very close to India so really oh yeah yeah yeah. So, and that happened with almost all of us because we were we went there from different parts of the world but we were all you know a very entrepreneurial you know self-driven kind of people so we actually right. created our own nation so the AYF had an whole nation <laughs> oh. none of the people were close to their own countries none of them people from Europe, people from Africa, people from South America, none of them were close to their own countries. So it, it becomes a very difficult exercise when you want to categorize people in certain silos, right? In this case, nationalities, because, well, countries are complex. People are complex. And that is what makes this very interesting for me, because what you said was you talk to them a lot, because I think that is the only way. But it also consumes so much time. Mm. How did you manage all that?
1: I made sure that the learning points were made clear. Mm. So the discussions were not just time spent discussing. The discussion was the learning. And I made sure that the learning points obtained were made clear after each session. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: I did so by saying it or asking, but I also did so through um, tasks that I asked them to do afterwards to kind of put their own thoughts in. And the, 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 uh, the grading criteria for these tasks would then be, are they demonstrating a new understanding
0: mm-hmm.
1: as per what we discussed? Mm-hmm. So it's just simply another method.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So study circles was part of this, right?
1: the yeah i think you're talking reading the reading circles i was doing
0: yes the reading circles that was Sorry.
1: actually that was actually a different uh, thing um so one of the things that really scared me about the students that i met mm. from nepal uh, primarily was their lack of ability to read and their lack of interest in reading it's not it wasn't that they couldn't read mm. english they could, but they, first of all, they didn't find it interesting. Mm. And, and and secondly, I, I understood that they were not able to take out information from what they were reading. And it came down to that apparently these students had been brought up to read just to memorize. Mm. But if you go to Denmark, you will be challenged in many ways. You will be challenged to, to read stuff pull out information and put it back together in new ways. Analyze the text, synthesize new texts. Yeah. And and this requires a whole different line of thinking and a whole different line of perceiving. And again, we're back to people will look for what they know. Yeah. And we kept asking them, all of the teachers at the program, kept asking them to read with a view to understanding and being able to under, to discuss key concepts. Yeah. None of them did this. They didn't read. And they didn't know what we meant when we said it. And I could see it. I was also teaching English composition at some point, And I could see it when they wrote texts to me that they had no idea how to treat a subject. Yeah. You know, I even had one, write. I was asking about some social issue. And I got back a text on some kind of, I don't know, electricity development. And I asked and I said, and it was handwritten. It wasn't something she had pulled out of an old folder. She, was right, she had written it while I was watching. And I, I, I asked her, okay, so I asked about the social issue. You give me something about electricity. Yes, because I remembered this text. And this told me that the concept of producing knowledge, I was really puzzled by that. But, but after a while, I concluded that the concept of producing a proper treatment about a subject was foreign to them. And they had been brought up simply with having, you know, the the, the quality criteria was how well do you remember this text? How well can you reproduce it? So I made the reading circles to test, can I teach them how to look for something in a text? Something, i.e., what we want them to look for. So basically it was a voluntary thing, free. They didn't have to pay for it. I was just spending my time doing this. Um, so we were sitting in a circle, they had brought their own book, book of their own choice. I asked them to read uh, and said, okay, I'm going to give you three minutes. Just read as much as you can. And I will say when to stop and just put a finger down so you know where you stopped. And we did this. And then I asked them to tell me what they had read. And the first time we did this, they were not able to. Then I did it again. And then we were able to, and I kept asking. So, what is the main point of the passages you have read? What, 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 do, what does the author want to tell you here? Mm. So I was asking them to understand the same way you understand when a friend is telling you a story, but they just hadn't connected that to reading. Mm. That was like when friends and family talks. Mm-hmm. Books are just for learning out. So I don't know. That was a. That was a. a a pilot project I was doing. I thought for the students who participated, it was quite successful, but I think time was against us, you know, Mm. people were busy, yeah.
0: So these students, they were, uh, you know, they were good students back home, I'm assuming. And it wasn't that, you know, they they didn't have mental faculties to understand. What do you think was the reason, were some of the reasons why they were not interested in uh, comprehending what they were reading?
1: Because they didn't know why they should. It had not been put, there not no value had been put on that before. I think one student, it, this wasn't a conversation I had, but there was a one of my colleagues told me about this conversation with this student. And he said, um, it was Renee, you remember Renee, teaching nice. in philosophy. <laughs> and then the student had said, this is the first real conversation I have ever had in a school context.
0: Mm.
1: And I think that made a big impression on me hearing that story because I think this is maybe my bias and my prejudice because I haven't seen it. I haven't had a chance to talk with people properly about it. But my young coming from Nepal, for instance, nobody asks you of your opinion.
0: Mm.
1: Not in a school context. You are there to do what you're told. And it, there, there seems to be an assumption that if we just fill in enough stuff to these heads they will come out as proper human beings yeah. and contribute to the society. But while they're in process, yeah. nobody wants to hear what they have to say. And if you don't develop a person's mental faculties, yeah. you don't challenge their ability to make sense of stuff and, and, and discuss with them, how can they learn? And I think this is what came to us. And the the, the, the successful students we had were successful in spite Of what they had been going through and the vast majority were as you say they had all the mental faculties that they needed there was nothing wrong with them but they had never been trained and they had never been valued that they should have an opinion this is some of the things that I tried to really change in my cross-cultural studies Mm. that I I wanted their opinions and I made sure they felt how important it was when they gave them and I did see a rise Mm. of personal opinion maybe not always in a schooled way but but the mere fact that they were there that was a victory
0: i'm 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 so happy that you were there as a teacher for them because uh they were lucky to have you to you know uh create this spark of uh, curiosity in them and uh yes. give them the respect that they need you know as as students and somebody lucky. whose opinion should be valued and yes. now this brings us bring me to brings me to the second part of the question that i was going to ask as educators yes. Yes. As educationists, as teachers, we have this responsibility to create the new generation of people so that the world is more welcoming to diversity, to differences. Mm -hmm. Do you think enough uh, things are being done in that direction?
1: No. What should we do? Well, I don't want to blow my horn. And fortunately, I'm not the only one saying what I'm going to say now because I'm saying it because I read it from like researchers and it makes sense and I've tested it and it does make sense. But sadly, my point that you have to be aware that people are not looking for the same people don't recognize what they don't know exists. And therefore, the primary point is to make people aware of what exists before they can move on and before you can bridge the differences. But sadly, most educators or many educators, they have a focus on their own subject and the way that they were taught to teach it in a way uh, and, and their own experiences for how knowledge works and how it should be communicated. So they will just bring this block of knowledge put it in the faces of whoever is the student group and if students are not getting it then it's the students fault and there you have your bias yeah. there you have your well it must be because they're stupid they're not working hard enough they're not focusing and I'm sure that for, 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 for the point of my students there were a lot of people who were not working hard enough they were lazy bone lazy a lot of them and um, and who knows why but I know they were but I think that was not all of the story. I still insist on on a another reality that could be they did not learn to be curious and they did not learn how to motivate themselves because nobody had ever put value on that. Mm. And if, and that was just this group. Other groups have other issues, but you have to you have to notice the differences and make them everybody aware of them before you can start tolerance. You know, right. Make everybody aware and make aware that it's all equally valuable. Mm-hmm. You don't have to subscribe to all of it, but it's all equally valuable.
0: So even if we do bring in those changes, and a lot of research has already been done, there are people like you who mm-hmm. are practicing it in real life in universities. Even if mm-hmm. we do bring it to the classroom mm-hmm. and you know the students do respond positively and we get the sense, okay, this has made some kind of change in their thought process. But Mm -hmm. the moment you step outside the classroom, there's this entire society you have to deal with, which is still not Mm -hmm. ready. Mm -hmm. Right. So how do you cope up? Because then it is you're living in two worlds. In the classroom, you're all modern, progressive and the best the world can produce. And right outside, you have all these cultural differences and all these other problems. Mm -hmm. How does a young person manage to do all those things? What should he or she do?
1: I don't think there is one system here, but there is a mindset that I could recommend. Um, How you get there, I don't know, individual. But you have to understand it's not your fault. If people are behaving poorly towards you, they must have some issue, which is their problem. You're still you, and you didn't do anything wrong, so it's their thing and this is really hard i think for all of us to understand this fact i think many of us will take it upon ourselves if something goes wrong what did i do wrong how can i change we all a lot of us will do this automatically but in an intercultural issue if you're a muslim wearing a muslim girl wearing a scarf or Bindi, if you're wearing a bindi in your forehead (laughs) and people point at it or you're eating food and they say that's disgusting, you know, that's not your problem. It's just an unfriendly context you're in. You can't, you can change, you can change the world by being who you are and making sure that you're not the same. Mm. But it's a heavy responsibility to take upon your shoulders. I think a lot of young people are doing it already because they can't help themselves. I think one of the beautiful things about the culture that is emerging among young people, I don't know if it's the same in India, but I see it in Denmark. I was in Cairo for a couple of months. I saw exact the same changes, even though there were so many contextual differences for the young people there, but they were just like the ones in Denmark. They're so full of energy, and they're so full of a conviction that they can do stuff to change the world. And they create all kinds of cool projects. To change the world and we might smile and say oh the folly of youth but that's not what's going on they are the future and their way is going to win i am sure of it and so just encourage that encourage independent thinking encourage a strength inside to say okay if i meet a racist it's not my problem it's his problem obviously i have to make sure i don't get hurt but (laughs) otherwise yeah does it make sense
0: it makes a lot of sense, actually. I would like to share something here. Uh, yeah. I've always believed in the concept of global consciousness, all right? And yeah. I definitely uh, completely concur with the idea that you just said, you know, where in even in developing countries like Egypt and other places, you see uh, the mindset of the youth is quite similar as to what you would expect in Western Europe or maybe Japan or the US or Canada, right? Mm-hmm. And that probably one of the reasons for that and actually it is one of the reasons for that is the internet because you yes. can you can choose what to see and you mm-hmm. can get influenced by what you choose to see right mm-hmm. the other factor of the internet is when i uh, i'm i'm living in india i'm living in a small town in india and probably my ideas are not shared by the community around me it's not their fault it, it's it's because of uh, it can be because of various reasons but then i find mm-hmm. someone across the border in some other country living in a similar situation where uh, you know you have ideas but there are not people around you to share those ideas with but now with the internet you can actually get connected and you know that is what i definitely believe in in fact you talked about egypt uh, last year i almost went to this event uh, which happens in sharm sharm sheikh uh, mm-hmm. it is the world uh, oh i'm forgetting the name it's it's a youth forum with more than 5000 young uh, people from across the world who come and meet there and the Egyptian government sponsors their travel and everything so one of the things I definitely feel is the mindset that you talked about can definitely mm-hmm. come from this global consciousness where people connect with each other meet at mm-hmm. forums like what happens in Sharm sheik and so on
1: mm-hmm. no, I completely agree but it goes back to what you asked at the beginning of the of the interview, does it change you to go abroad? Does it will it change you as a human being? And this is the same thing. Whether you do it physically, you do it online, but the the fact that you that you expose yourself to other opinions and other perspectives changes
0: you. Mm.
1: I do believe in a positive manner. Yeah.
0: So, Bettina, there was uh, this question that I really wanted to ask you because I sometimes feel I connect with you because of one of those reasons. And the reason is Mm -hmm. that uh, you also uh, come from, you know, you have a mix of cultures in your background. There is definitely, you know, uh, the Danish culture because you're so Danish. Uh, You're a Dane. And at the same time, you have roots somewhere else in the world. Would you like to share with us uh, about that and how that has changed your perspective? And you as a human being?
1: Well if I were outside myself looking in I might be able to answer more precisely but since I have been present inside during the entire development it's difficult for me to pick apart what's what but yes I'm half Danish half Palestinian uh, and I was fortunate while I was a child to have very close contact with my Palestinian family. I went there every summer for a period of uh, three to four weeks and stayed in the family village. So they were, the the, the Arabic background became an integrated part of of who I am. Uh, But as you say, I'm Danish. I've always looked at myself as Danish, first and foremost Danish and then with an Arab dad. Um, I don't know how it has changed my perspective on life, but back to, back to the point we keep returning to, when, when you are exposed to different ways of seeing and doing things, you can't help but just getting a broader perspective. Um, because you know that many more things are possible, many more logics are possible. There are many more ways you can get angry and reasons that people can get angry with you. There are many more ways that you can con- uh, reconcile. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, are, You know, a joke can be like one thing in one culture and a completely different thing in another culture. You know, it's it's uh, it's difficult to say how that... I, I don't think I, it changed me. I think it just made me. Mm. But I think it is key to my whole angle my whole way of looking at interculturality and and the I mean you can do that in many different ways right you can you can work with cross-culture from many different perspectives and I think mine comes from within and it has to do with my very early realization that life is just so many faceted and you can't just settle on one thing Mm. you can say I feel more comfortable with this Mm. but you cannot reject other people's point of view Hmm. Just because you feel more comfortable with your own. You can just say, hmm, interesting. And that makes a person. So my my background is just, I'm just, I guess I'm using my background professionally hmm. um, because this is the material that I have. Hmm. Does that make sense?
0: It makes a lot of sense. In fact, yeah. I would like you to summarize it uh, by answering this question. So okay. do, do you think uh, people with... Uh, Multicultural backgrounds or people who come from multicultural families, both sides of the parents or in some other quantity, maybe. Are they generally more open to inclusivity? Are they generally more open to accepting other people's cultures as compared to, let's say, somebody who comes from a very typical nationality, not a lot Mm. of cultural differences in the Mm. background?
1: I think so. You should be careful not to generalize. Mm. But the people I have met who were half something, they all had the same characteristics, that they were not so settled on specific truths. They understood what they liked and they understood that, "Mm, but that's not the only thing around, you know, you can say this and that and that and that. They were more soft, more flexible. Mm. I, I think so, without, of course, knowing... I haven't studied it. I haven't seen statistics about it, but but I, I, I the, my personal experience tells me that this is true. yes.
0: Well, thank you so much, Bettina for uh, giving us time and guys, uh, this is why I wanted to share this conversation with you because Bettina and I had long conversations in Denmark when we were trying to figure out you know how to improve uh, uh, the effective way of learning for a lot of students over there. And I hope I was able to contribute a bit uh, because she's uh, such a powerhouse of information and research. And uh, if you want to connect with her, if you uh, want to have uh, want to give any feedback, if you relate with any of the stories that Bettina has shared today, please write them down in the comments. Please, uh, you know, directly message me on any of the social media, and I'll make sure uh, to connect you with Bettina. Thank you so much, Bettina, uh, for. You're welcome doing this. Thank you so much. And take care. Be safe.
1: Such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. Bye-bye.